Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 2.42 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. Again, it's no surprise that the Holy Spirit engineers things. So all of the Life Churches were doing the part of the Lord's Prayer that asks for forgiveness. But I think we're the only life church that's looking at forgiveness this Sunday. So again, no great surprise there that those two were very much linked together. So last Sunday, Alison preached a powerful sermon on that Jesus has to judge us for the things that we've done. That he has to. God has to judge us. There is no way sort of around that. In this week, we're going to explore that we believe in forgiveness. And we believe in forgiveness through for our sins through his amazing grace. And a lot of what I'm going to comment on comes from one of my favourite books. I think I mentioned it a fortnight ago. Called What's So Amazing About Grace by someone called Philip Yancey. Who is a bit David-like in that he asks lots of questions. And some people might not like that. That they question God and question why. But he very much talks a lot about grace about the reality of grace and the challenges to grace and I will be reading a few quotes from it that I've written in so our key verse for this morning is from 1 John chapter 2 and it says my children I write this to you so that you will not sin but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one he is our atoning sacrifice for sins And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is our advocate for every sin that has ever been committed and that ever will be committed. No matter how serious we feel that sin is going to be. You don't have to read much in the Bible to get a clear picture of God's holiness and the fact that God cannot be in the position next to sin or where sin is. That is not possible. God is holy. He talks about him there. And so he cannot be in the position of a humanity that is dirty and has committed sin. He cannot be around that. And the consequences of that is that nobody can't, can enter his presence without being condemned. That if we go back to the Old Testament and the priest, if the priest did anything that was wrong when he went into the holy place... They would actually die instantly and that was one of the reasons why they put a rope around the priest's feet because if they did die they could then be dragged out because of that. So that might sound quite harsh and that might give this picture of God being quite harsh but the Bible also says in Romans for everyone has sinned and we've all fall short of God's standards. That sin is an archery term, it means missing the mark. And it doesn't mean you've missed the mark by a millimetre or you've missed the whole board and have shot it into the next field. You've missed the mark. And so basically we all sin. And that doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a pastor or a church leader or anybody else. So I'm going to tell a quick story about my youth. Um, I try not to talk all the time about myself, but like lots of young people, I was fascinated with guns. 
So the, the environment I grew up with, I was fascinated with guns. So it started off with your usual, like, equivalent of Nerf guns or whatever. But when we were about 14, 15, we persuaded this friend we knew to sell us his air rifle. Okay, so we got this air rifle and we regularly have target practice. But over a few years, you got a bit bored with it. And I progressed onto motorbikes and other things. But I then went to university in Lancaster. And after the first year, we got a house. And this house had a really long garden in it. So I thought, ooh, great idea. I'll get the air rifle out of the cupboard in the home in Southport. We took it to Lancaster. And one Saturday, four guys in my house thought, tell you what, let's set up some targets in the garden. So we got milk cartons and stuck the milk cartons in various trees along the garden. So there was one that was quite close. There was one that was in the middle of the garden. And there was one hanging with a like, thread to the tree right at the bottom of our garden. So the four of us were hanging out of the bedroom window on the third floor, shooting down into these targets. And most of us got the first target. And when it hit a sort of milk bottle, sort of milk cart, you heard a so you'd know you hit it. So we got the first target. Most of us got the second target. But for some reason, none of us could seem to get this third target. And then a friend of mine, Tim, who was like six foot four, who's now a vicar, he shoots this one and goes, I hit it. And went, it didn't sound. Didn't sound like the milk carton. So anyway, we gave up at that point and we all went off to our various rooms. And then all of a sudden there's this on our door. And the way our house worked was you could look down from the third floor to where the door was. And all I could see was this policeman helmet. So I went down, you know, opened the door and he went, where's the gun? I went, ooh. Says there's been reports of somebody firing a shotgun and it's gone straight through the window of the family opposite. So where's the gun? I want the gun, and I want the person that fired it coming down the police station. So anyway, one of my other friends comes out with his glasses on and a book in his hand going, what's going on, lads? As if he's never been involved in anything. So we eventually gathered in the lounge and all four of us said, well, we don't actually know which one of us it was because we were all doing it. And I think the policeman suddenly took a step back and went, hmm. And again, probably unfairly, four relatively articulate, good-looking students. He also, I don't think, what's the hassle of four of us being taken down to the police station, all saying we don't know who it is. So he comes up with a compromise and he says, hmm, tell you what, if one or two of you come to the house with the lady and ask for her forgiveness, then we'll stop there. So two of us, myself and my other mate Dave, who was by far the most mellow of us and probably godly. You've got to be godly to be called Dave. But we went round, we apologised. We did find out, unfortunately, it had gone through not only the window, but it hit a cat on the other side. So for cat lovers, really sorry. Um, so again, we pled forgiveness. We said we're really sorry. We offered to pay for the window. And thankfully, she accepted our apology and forgiveness. The police officer was happy. And thankfully, we were able to go our separate ways and the air rifle got dis disposed of somewhere else, I think, never to be seen again. So the issue is there had to be forgiveness in that scenario. If that lady hadn't said that she was accepting it, then one of us would have had to pay a penalty. Maybe even all four of us would have had to pay a cost. And God is righteous and holy and he can't accept sin without some form of punishment. Somebody has to pay a price for it. But the great news for us is that God sent Jesus 
to take our place. God didn't ignore it. God didn't sweep it away. God didn't put it up under the carpet. God had to do something about it. He had to be a penalty or a price or a punishment. And that was done by Jesus. And the fantastic thing is that now that penalty has been paid, now that price has been paid, nobody else has to pay that price. Nobody is going to come after you for the price of your sins that God's forgiven. That would be unjust. Our God can't say, I've punished my son, I've made my son go to the cross and pay that penalty. He can't then come and say, and I want you to pay for it as well, because that one was a bit dodgy. That sin was a bit iffy, or that's the 10th, 50th, 100th, 1,000th time you've done that. So Jesus' blood does not cover that. That is not fair, accurate, or whatever. The other thing is that forgiveness is God's plan, and it's his idea. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 said, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his love and shed his blood. Some people seem to have this perception that God is the, the sort of harsh and one that wants to punish. And Jesus is the calm one that stands in his way and stops the, the sort of harsh God. And I think that is so much of a misnomer. If I read verses for you, it says, John 3.16, probably the best known verse, for God so loved that he gave his only son. It was God's idea. It was him wanting it. It was him who came up with that concept. It was him who wanted people to come back to him. It wasn't Jesus standing in front of an angry father. And I don't know whether that's a perception some of you had. Again, sometimes our earthly fathers, how we view them, means we see God again as that angry person has to have someone stand in their way to stop him. That is not the reality. God was the one who wanted us to come back to him. And it was his idea for that. So what's the answer to the problem? Again, I'm not going to make any assumptions on how much people read the Bible. But as we read our Bible, we see so many different ways where people try to do something about what we call the sin problem. But what we find that sacrificing animals was never going to do it. So the Israeli people permanently sacrificing bulls, goats, whatever, was going to cover it, but it was never going to solve it. It was never going to deal it. Having a moral code, like some of the Pharisees did, to try and obey the 500 or whatever sort of things that they had to do, was never going to stop the sin. Repeatedly killing off people. In some ways, God's sort of first sort of thought of wiping everybody out with the flood and starting again with Noah, again, didn't work. Because again, unfortunately, as soon as Noah came out of the ark, he committed sin and he did what was inbuilt sort of within him. Keeping religious festivals, washing ourselves, whatever it might be, does not actually stop sin or prevent it. So, what can be done about it? I want to look a little bit about something else first. One of the stories that Philip Yancey tells in his book is about a pastor friend of his who ran a homeless ministry, similar perhaps to the Vine or what we do. And, and he came across a prostitute on the streets 
who really was very much suffering for the life that she led. And so the pastor said quite lightly to him, oh, have you ever thought of going to church? And she turned around him and said, I'll read it so I sort of get it right. She said, church, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. And I don't think we can sort of say that that's not the case for some of the people we would speak to. And that just shows how far we have gone from Jesus. So Jesus drew prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, murderers to him. He drew drew them to him because they sensed he was going to not judge but to provide forgiveness. And yet the church and sometimes us as Christians project perhaps an impression that we are judging people for their sins before they've met the person that is going to forgive them. We almost perhaps project an impression that you've got to be clean before we can spend time with you. And actually what Jesus says is that getting clean is my job. Your job is coming. Getting clean, getting holy, getting sinless is the job that he says that he's going to do. I think one of the main problems though is that whilst we believe forgiveness as a concept, I think we have real problems sometimes believing it for ourselves. And I think we make a judgment of, yeah, I could see myself being forgiven for that, but I perhaps don't see myself being forgiven or someone being forgiven for someone else. But as I was just saying before, if we take what sin is, sin is just missing the mark. And it doesn't matter if you've missed it a little or you've missed it a lot. So I know there are people here today, and that's not, I don't have to be prophetic for that, or I have talked to people about this, who do not feel forgiven. They feel that there's things that they've done either in the past or they're doing regularly, which has meant that God can't or is choosing not to forgive them. And so as a result, they're living only half a life and not quite entering into that complete fullness and that complete forgiveness. Another sort of line from the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says, we're accustomed to find the catch in every promise. Jesus' story of extravagant grace contained no loophole. Nothing would disqualify us from God's love. Philip Yancey gives three stories. The one that's a parallel of the sort of prodigal son. If you read it and don't burst into tears, then you're a bit heartless. I've read it about ten times or even more. And every time I read it, I cry. In terms of the girl who goes off and then suddenly decides she's going to come back again. I won't spoil it for those of you who might read it later. But it certainly brings me to tears. But there is no loophole in God's promise that if you ask for forgiveness, you gain it. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who feel him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Just celebrate that this morning. Every single sin that you have asked for him to forgive, 
He is removed as far as the east is from the west. Another analogy says he's taken to the deepest part of the sea and he's dropped it in there. And there's another Christian analogy he's put a sign saying no fishing. Don't go looking for it. It's no surprise to me that that psalm is, is marked by David. And not all psalms are David, but that one says a psalm of David. Because if we look at anything about sort of the history of David, it shows that he was a man who committed sins, but had been forgiven by God and lived in the reality of that forgiveness. So that's what enabled him to pen that amazing psalm, that his Lord was compassionate and merciful. The fantastic thing is that our sins were transferred from us to Jesus. It's like they were taken off us and they were piled on his head. He carried them to that cross and he bared the price and the penalty for that. But the other fantastic thing about that was it's not just what he took off us, it's what he then gave us. He gave us his holiness and his righteousness. So that's why we can say, we are holy. You may not feel it this morning. You may not have felt it yesterday, last night, whatever. But if you have asked Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, you are holy. And the angels cry, holy, because you are holy. It's what I think it Martin Luther called the great exchange. We give him something. He gave us something back. He exchanged our sins for his righteousness. What a fantastic exchange that is. And as a result of it, we're called saints. It says we are God's chosen people, his holy people. There's so many things that we could read, but the problem is we could keep reading it. But you need to believe it here. And only you know what's stopping that. Are you listening to the voices that are whispering in your ear that are saying, no, God's not believe, not, God's not forgiven you for that. That was too serious. Or because you've done that the 10th, 15th, 20th, 100th time, he stopped forgiving you when he got to this point. The disciples said, should I forgive seven times? And Jesus' analogy said 70 times seven. It actually could have been seven million times seven million. I heard Trillian talked about the other day in terms of economy. So it could be trillion, it does not matter. It is endless times that he will forgive you. We need to be really careful though that we don't get casual about that. I've said that that's true that he will continually forgive, but we need to recognize that we can't get casual of asking for forgiveness when it's needed. If not, it says our hearts can become hard, and our hearts can become seared. And even though I've talked about David, and if you read the early chapters of David, it says, and David asked of the Lord, and the Lord told him. But it's clear that in that chapter, in that episode, David didn't ask. And so as a result, David did the equivalent of the frog being slowly boiled. He just didn't recognize the sin that he was gradually going into. And he got deeper and deeper into it. He committed more and more serious things, until basically, not only was it death for him spiritually, but also physically, in terms of Uriah and obviously his own son. But it's never too late for us to asking for our forgiveness. And 
Our awareness of forgiveness should keep us humble. Our awareness of sin should mean actually we become more aware of it. So actually the Holy Spirit is gradually saying even more and more sensitively, yes, you've sinned in thought, you've done something. Not in a penalty in a harsh way. You know, if we're hearing harsh words, it's not the Holy Spirit. If we're hearing a gentle saying, you need to come back to me, you need to listen, you need to change. That's what he does and that's what he wants. It says that Jesus came into, sorry, Paul said, here is a saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. He got to the point where he was so sensitive of the sin that was in his life that he wanted to get rid of it as much as possible. And yeah, my perception is, I'm happy to discuss it, is that we can never become sinless and we can never get to a point where we don't sin anymore because we will keep occasionally missing the mark. But I want to sin less. I want to do it less. I want to do it as laced as I possibly can and keep such short accounts with God that as soon as I am aware of it, I actually ask his forgiveness and I ask him to take it away from me. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have to go to Christ for pardon for every fault as it occurs. Continually I must say, forgive me. And continually Jesus says, I do forgive you, go in peace. So do you regularly go to ask for forgiveness? Do you regularly share with other people who hold us accountable? We had a fantastic men's group on Thursday night and we were talking about accountability. And yes, we need to ask God for forgiveness, but for me, I also need a group of men who I can go to and ask for prayer and I can hold myself accountable. And I have given a number of people in this church permission to phone me, speak to me, whatever, and say, Dave, I'm seeing this. What's going on? We need to have people who can speak into our lives and share with us. Question that came up that Dave raised in his notes for this session was, do we overcome sin by discipline or the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. The best analogy I've seen is a bike. If you try and ride a bike with only one pedal, and Brett has tried, believe me, one pedal in, it's very hard. But if you have two pedals that are going at exactly the same time, you get momentum, you build up. One pedal for me is about me doing the things that I know I can do. It's perhaps putting things in place, it's stopping things, it's about separating things from me. That's what I'm doing physically that I believe God is calling me to do. But also it's about saying to the Holy Spirit, strengthen me, give me the strength to do it, give me the understanding to do it. For me, it's about both. It's adding the sort of two together. I just want to give a couple of takeaways and then I'm going to sort of do a quick prayer for anyone who feels they need sort of a prayer of forgiveness. My first takeaway is we need to come as we are. Filthy and a mess. Don't let anybody tell you you've got to be clean before you come first. As I've said, that's his job. Secondly, keep short accounts with God. Come to him as soon as your conscience or the Holy Spirit tells you that you've done something wrong. That way, we stay clean, we stay close to him. We stay in his presence and in his sort of holiness. We need to believe 
that we've been forgiven. I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute of forgiveness. And if there's something that you feel you've not been forgiven for, or if you need to ask for forgiveness for the first time, if you need to come back to him for the first time, say, Jesus, I know what I've done wrong. I need to be forgiven. Come into my heart and live in me. We're going to pray that. If you want to talk to me afterwards about anything that you're struggling with in that area. The last point is when we've received grace and forgiveness, we need to show that forgiveness to others. It's so true that those who are forgiven much often forgive much. Those who feel that they've only been forgiven little, perhaps only forgive little, either of themselves or others. So again, if there's something that you're holding against somebody today, give it up. Give it up. Ask their forgiveness. Give your forgiveness, whatever it takes. Just make sure that that's not something that's holding you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you're a God who is aware of our sin and aware of how far we are away from you. But because of that, you want us to come back to you. You long for us to come back to you. You are like that father in the prodigal son who is just running there, waiting, standing there, waiting for us to come back to you. And Father, we pray a prayer for those today you may want to say for the first time, Jesus, forgive me. I know I've done wrong. I know I've committed sins in my life. Forgive them. Take them away. Remove them. Replace them through that great exchange with your forgiveness and your holiness. Come into my life today. Live in me and help me to be the person that you call me to be. If that's you for the first time, just say that those words in whatever words you want to use to him because he wants to hear and he wants to forgive. For those of you who don't feel forgiven, perhaps feel that there's something or someone that you've hurt or something that has happened that is stopping you from being forgiven. Father, we thank you there is no such thing that you want to forgive. You have forgiven us. Give people that sense in their heart and their being that you have forgiven them, that you have cleansed them, you have brought them back to you. That those chains of unforgiveness just drops off. And if people need to either forgive someone here or someone else, again, Lord, we just pray for that balm, that oil of forgiveness, just to flow over them and flow towards us. We just thank you for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.